Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast. Trevor Anderson here, taking charge this week. You know me. I'm a chart manager here at Billboard. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And, you know, this is the place where we talk about why what's on the charts is on the charts. So we're going to talk about one of Gary's favorite topics this week. You see, Gary's going to do a lot of talking at the end, so I'm going to spare him at the beginning. We're talking country music this week. So... Um, if you don't know, the latest issue of Billboard has Luke Combs on the cover, the country power players, talking about who are the big movers and shakers in the country industry. So as part of that, we're going to extend the theme to the podcast this week and bring in a couple experts from Nielsen to discuss the current state of country. Uh, we're going to bring back repeat guest John Miller, who you've heard a couple times do some of these breakdowns of, of trends across genres at radio with us. And we're actually going to bring in a first-timer Scott Musgrave to talk about the current trends in country, some ratings, uh, and a few other topics that are out there. Of course, the big specter of streaming is finally making its way into the country landscape. Uh, a lot of talk also in the really past couple of years about the lack of women getting played on country radio. So we'll dive into that a lot and try to figure out what's happening and what needs to happen there. And a lot more things coming your way. So stay tuned for that. All right. So here's this week's top 10. On the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Oh, she's sweet but a psycho, a little bit psycho. At night she's screaming, I'm on my mind, I'm on my mind. Oh, she's hot but a psycho, so left but she's right though. At night she's screaming, I'm on my mind, I'm on my mind. Travel cop, gun kind of crazy, she's poison but Number nine. Uh, packing the mail, it's gone. Uh, she like I smell cologne. Yeah. I just signed a deal, I'm on. Yeah, yeah. I go where I want. Good, good. Play if you want, let's do it. I'm a young CEO, sure. Yeah, yeah. Number eight. Look what you made me do. I'm with somebody. Ooh, baby, baby, I'm dancing with a stranger. Look what you made me do. I'm with somebody new. Ooh, baby, baby, I'm dancing with a stranger. Number seven. It's a moment when I show up, God, I'm saying, wow. Honey, bands in my pocket, it's on me. Yeah, your grandma more probably know me. Get more bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, God, I'm saying, wow. Number six. Then you're left in the dust. Unless I stuck by you. You're a sunflower. I think you love a or you be left in the dark Number five I'm a sucker for all the subliminal things No one knows about you About you, about you, about you And you're making the typical me Break my typical rules It's true I'm a sucker for you Yeah. Number four Cause I don't care when I'm with my baby yeah. All the bad things disappear Making me feel that maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby. Number three. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about where we're going before we get lost. 
Number two. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy. Duh. And number one. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. There we have it, a nine-week number one officially, Old Town Road. It's Billy Ray Cyrus helping out little Nas X. Nine weeks at number one. Also goes nicely with nine digits in the streaming column. We're talking 115 million streams this week. Once again, per usual, towering over everything else in its path. And although, you know, at this point it's been nine weeks at number one, we've, you know, seen the narrative play out. All the pieces are in there. Finally, we get a little new aspect to talk about Old Town Road, and that is, as we are in the first week of June, it is officially time for the Songs of the Summer chart to make its annual return. First week, it mirrors the Hot 100's Top 20, so it's a season-long race that goes from Memorial Day up until Labor Day. Really? The way the song's been going? The way the streams have been going? And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, if anybody can catch up. It feels like Little Nas has got a lot of room to go, but... You know, last year we saw Drake's In My Feelings come out about midway through the race. And thanks to the Shiggy Challenge, especially that song blew up with enough to get to number one by the end of the summer. So it's not a foregone conclusion, but it just seems like Little Nas is leading by, by what, 10, 12 links at this point? Yeah. Uh, horse. Uh, you, you like that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, right. Uh, anything could come along. We don't know. It's uh, three months, but uh, you couldn't ask really for a better start. So it's it's uh, it's maybe it's a race to lose uh, at this point. So uh, we heard uh, Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus at number one. Uh, up to number two was Billie Eilish with Bad Guy. That's a new uh, peak for that song, a new uh, best rank ever for Billie Eilish. So that's a Billy at number one and a Billy at number two. So I was wondering, has the same name uh, sonically ever been numbers one and two in the same week? There's no easy way to research that. I just wound up uh, either uh, thinking. Uh, what, I, I guess obviously been. the same person doesn't count. Right. If it's like Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift. Right. Any thoughts before I uh, tell you what I came up with? Um. Oh, goodness. I, I guess there's... Hmm. Uh, and like, is it just, is it, it's just first name, obviously, because Billy, okay, Billy, Billy. Uh, um, uh, do George Michael and Michael Jackson count? Uh, first names only, but it's okay. interesting that you mentioned those two because I was going to mention two examples and you mentioned both names, George oh, and Michael. Oh, wait a minute. Come on, it. Trev. Okay. You're close. So, okay. So George Harrison. Yeah. And George. You just said the name. Michael. Yeah. Oh. That's uh, the first thing I thought of was, uh, was it Faith and Got My Mind Set on You in early 1988? The closest they got, they were numbers two and three in the same week. Oh, damn. But then then I was thinking, well, uh, Michael Jackson was really big then too. And then I thought, oh, that, that must be it. So I don't know if this has happened. Other, I haven't looked at every uh, Hot 100 Weekly, but at least, at least one example I've came up with of uh, the same name being one and two. Michael Jackson, 1991, uh, December, Black or White was number one. Michael Bolton, when a man was Michael a woman. Bolton. Number two, okay. Michael Jackson and Michael Bolton. When a man loves a woman. Uh, one more thing I related to uh, Billy Ray Cyrus this week. He has a brand new album, uh, his own album this week, as much as he's uh, so huge with the, the number one song in the country. His new album, The Snake Doctor Circus, is out, debuts on the country album sales chart. But maybe we'll be free. Kind of, but we've uh, talked recently a lot about Billy Ray Cyrus's catalog here on the podcast. Kind of has that uh, could have been me sound to it song, uh, The Reckoning. So, great song on his new album. And uh, Miley Cyrus, his daughter, has a new single out. Mother's daughter is uh, being promoted to radio this week. So, uh, talking Miley, we're talking uh, her father, Billy Ray. Also got to give a shout out to 
Uh, some action happening in the bottom part of the top 10 this week. Got a new song that you guys heard back there, number nine. The song is Suge by DaBaby, uh, rapper out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you're wondering if Suge might be an allusion to somebody who, uh, I guess, you know, was, was popping back in the last time Billy Ray made his big debut in 92. This was also a guy who was very much in a different world, but very much on top of that world. That is indeed Marion Suge Knight, who most people I'm sure are most familiar with for his time at Death Row Records. Includes a lot of artists, including Dr. Dre, uh, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, all those very much in the Suge Knight orbit. So interesting little shout out. You know, we got a little tie in with Suge Knight coming back after all these years as well. Billy Ray Cyrus is not the only one getting a career revival in 2019 thanks to a rapper. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Suge. And maybe I shouldn't advertise this but um the baby also been in the news recently for an altercation he had at a louis vuitton store that was on his instagram um check uh, the, the videos got around it's it's actually it's it's i don't condone violence but somebody was you know somebody who's been messing with him for a long time happened to see him in the store you know started to you know cause some drama and the baby took care of it and actually put put the vi- the put the like the still like a like a like a drawing of the incident on a shirt and has been wearing that around so um <laughs> not supposed to be not supposed to be a funny story but i got to admit that is you know that's 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 character guess it's never really over just because it's over doesn't mean it's really over and if you think it over maybe you'll be coming over again and i'll think it over you all over again just because it's over also New music in the charts this week, not on the Hot 100 yet, but uh, new Katy Perry. Never really over debuts on a couple airplay charts. Uh, pretty strong debuts, too. Number 21 on adult pop songs. Number 26 on pop songs. Uh, it's been big on iTunes. Oh, well, I can still say iTunes. It's been big on Soon iTunes. Soon it will be just just music. Yeah, before it goes away. Uh, but uh, could make a pretty uh, decent Hot 100 debut next week at, for the numbers we have at the moment. It uh, doesn't look like it will be uh, top 10 or anything, but uh, top half of the chart, maybe top 40 uh, in terms of uh, sales, airplay, and streaming. Uh, kind of back to our teenage dream, Prism Sound, after uh, getting a little bit away from it on the last album. And some of the uh, – some of the uh, this is just Katie. There's no guest stars on the song. Really, just her, her pure pop sound that worked for so long. Uh, we'll see how it does. Uh, feels like a good summer song. I and- think a lot of people are – yeah, are, are really like back into it and, and- – one thing I think that's pretty telling is it's at least on U.S. Spotify, you know, kind of benchmark. It's been trending around the top 10 pretty consistently. So the fact that, it, you know, most songs obviously start high and then they kind of just work their way down. But she's she's really kept consistently and even gone up a little bit. So I think maybe people didn't know the song was coming out necessarily or were maybe hesitant because of what they heard on Witness. But I think when people are giving it a chance, they're actually really, really enjoying it. And in a year where uh, so many pure pop hits, uh, Jonas Brothers, uh, so much else, is doing really well. Maybe uh, maybe she timed, uh, call it comeback, uh, timed it pretty well. Uh, at the same time, she's on uh, Concalma with Daddy Yankee and Snow. It's up to number 22 on the Hot 100, doing well at pop radio as well. So, uh, yeah, Katie's got, uh, looks like a couple uh, couple hits uh, going forward here into the summer. As, as the title says, never really over. Oh, no, Gary. Uh, all right, uh, Trevor, you mentioned the beginning of the podcast. What's going on at country uh, these days? Uh, we said Luke Holmes is on the cover of the latest Billboard issue. It's our country power players issue uh, this week uh, where we're looking at the 100 industry leaders in the genre. And uh, Nielsen just put on a webinar specifically about country, their latest one, uh, looking at all different genres. So, yeah, let's talk country. We've had uh, John Miller on the podcast before, VP Audience Insights at Nielsen Audio. He's back. Uh, Scott Musgrave on the podcast for the first time, head of U.S. radio for Nielsen Music. And uh, just like we did a few weeks ago, uh, talking uh, really uh, getting into some of the depths of R&B hip hop, where the genre has been ratings wise at radio, how uh, streaming is uh, changing consumption of genres. Let's uh, do all that for country and uh, really uh, dig into all things country coming up here on the Billboard Sharpie podcast with Scott Musgrave and John Miller. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sunday morning, man, she woke up fighting mad. Bitching and moaning on and on about the time I had. And by Tuesday, you could say that girl was good as gone. Scott in studio, John on the phone. Welcome to the Billboard Chappie Podcast. Thank you for having me. And Great to be back. Yeah. Thank you. Scott, it's your first time uh, on the podcast. Uh, John, you've uh, been here before. Uh, Scott, you're going to make us uh, sound really bad with your radio voice. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, talking country, uh, times out really well to what uh, Billboard's been covering. So uh, let's just get into it. Uh, John, I'll start with you with uh, radio mm-hmm. ratings. Uh, I guess we're not going to cover another format where we can say this is the number one format country pretty much number one, uh, just about every uh, every key demo, country's number one among not even just music formats, all radio formats. Yep, it's very close. As you said, it's almost you know sort of an unbroken string of the top format everywhere. There are exceptions. It's number two with teens. It's number two with uh, folks 50 plus, but almost everywhere else, men, women, uh, it's number one, which speaks to just the massive appeal that country has. And as you know, we do a lot of analysis here about formats and what the audience is doing. So we get to see that big landscape um, across the radio, you know, across radio in America. And country is very unique in that it appeals, it seems to appeal evenly to people once you hit about the age of 18. You know, like if you take a look at the country audience and who they are and the audience makeup, you know, starting at the age of 18 until later in your life, you know, people are really passionate about country. You know, the amount of audience that is 2534 is the same as the amount of audience that's 4554 and so on and so forth. So other formats certainly do not look like that. Um, and there are reasons for that. But from a you know music and lifestyle standpoint, country on the radio really appeals to a lot of people in the U.S. Yeah, I was going to say uh, musically, it's, it's not uh, – there are some formats that are so youth-driven. There are some that are uh, just naturally more for older audiences. kind of feels like – uh, just musically, sonically, country is kind of in that sweet spot that it never feels too young, never feels too old. Yeah, and and again, the term country can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, particularly depending on your age. And yes, there's the classic country format, which is out there, which is you know obviously older music, um, but country and new country, which is what we lump into our country numbers. Um, there can be music that spans 40 years uh, in there in terms of when it was produced. And that's been, um, that's been an interesting topic of conversation with sort of the country radio uh, landscape for as long as I can remember about, you know, how do you properly mix it together and how much new music do you play versus older music and what do the golds look like? So um, as you said, it's a very unique format in that other formats can't quite get away with that. You know, they can't quite get away with playing that much of a spread of music and still have such consistently strong ratings. But but country really does it. Yeah, lyrically, too. It's one of the genres, maybe the most, that uh, will uh, pay tribute to artists that came before. You'll hear you'll hear uh, Willie Nelson. You'll hear uh, George Jones being mentioned in lyrics. It's kind of what makes country country in some ways. That's a good point. And country is so much about storytelling. You know, you feel that when you go to Nashville and you feel that when you go to some of the big country uh, conferences. Um, and you're right. It, that's just part of the story. It's part of the narrative of what country is and uh, that people pay respects to it and they always reference it. it. It's like a great novel. You know, the storyline keeps going. The story arc continues through decade after decade. Yeah. Uh, ratings wise, uh, John, do you know how long country has been number one? Is it uh, I'm not sure how far back uh, Nielsen stats go, but, you know, historically, whether it's uh, decades, it's always uh, been as strong as it is. Yeah, and, and part of it is Nielsen only really started doing this, you know, ranking the formats in the last maybe 15 or 20 years, where we sort of started rolling things up and taking a look at nationally what is number one. Um, so 
I don't have a hard answer, but it's about as long as I've looked at it. You know, certainly through the 2000s, um, country has been number one. News talk has obviously been right there. You know, it's right uh, right up there along with country. AC uh, has been historically uh, a very large format, but country has been number one for, for a long time and yeah, for a long time. Uh, one of the numbers I thought was interesting that you guys uh, brought up and you recently did this uh, webinar – uh, as you do uh, for different genres. That's why we've had uh, you on before on the podcast talking uh, hip-hop last time, uh, country this time. Uh, there are 5 million listeners fewer than there were five years ago for country. It went from uh, about 68 million at a high point to about 63 mm-hmm. million now over the last five years. And in this webinar, you said it's probably uh, because there are a couple hundred or about a hundred fewer stations, which would make sense. Also, and maybe this is more just uh, just what you think, streaming, cutting into it at all, would that be a part of it? Well, the interesting thing about country is, you know, Scott can really talk about this. Country is uh, one of the genres that's really picking up when it comes to streaming. And if you go back, again, the last five, 10 years, and you look at country radio, um, we, we've seen over time that that audience has been slower to adopt streaming. And so it, it does make sense on that end that um, as technology changes and streaming audio changes and all those things change the landscape, that an audience that uh, historically wasn't as prone to stream and wasn't as prone to go outside of radio to get their country music, now they've got so many more places to get it, and the data seems to show that catching up. Now, as you said, uh, country peaked uh, about four or five years ago. It was 2014. It had its biggest year ever. We saw the biggest shares historically we've ever seen uh, in the markets. Um, and, and it's you know remained number one since then, but the audience is about 5 million people smaller than it was uh, at that time. It's hard to pinpoint exactly where all that has gone, but we know the landscape has changed. And there's a lot of radio formats that can look at those similar types of scenarios, right? The audience size of four or five years ago is larger than the audience size of today because everything has changed and the landscape has changed. And that stat I gave, uh, just to even explain my own stat, 68 million, is that 68 million weekly? Yeah, weekly. Uh, when we talk about numbers, we do weekly numbers. Weekly QM is the technical term. So yeah, back in 2014, there was 60, uh, 68 million people listening to country music every week uh, as of 2018 was down to 63. So still a big number, right? Still the number one share format, but a smaller audience. And that's part of what Scott and I do is try to correlate where are they going? You know, if we if we can see this happening on radio, what is happening on streaming? It's not the same people exactly. We don't have panels that measure everything yet, but we try to correlate the data and what does it show and what are the leading indicators show. And I thought the other interesting uh, stat just to uh, start off with, John, is uh, where people are listening to country. This, uh, some of the top performing stations, uh, no surprise, I guess, that they're mostly, if you just uh, sort of generalize, uh, sort of a, a cluster in the middle of the country, sort of north to south, but uh, not on the coasts, more more in the middle of the country is where country does best. Yeah, and that matches what the Nielsen Music team can tell you about you know, country music fans, which is slightly different from country radio listeners, right? They survey different things, but you are correct. You know, the top performing stations uh, are sort of, yeah, they're Eastern. There's certainly an Eastern uh, influence to that. You know, a lot of uh, Ohio, Tennessee, North Carolina, a bit of the Northeast Corridor, and then, you know, some, obviously some other stations around the country, but, but that's what it looks like. And the reason I brought that up is that that matches very much what the the music survey says about, you know, where are country music fans? They're in the East, they're in the South. So those, those two numbers should go together, even though we're measuring different people of different things. Um, all those indicators should point to the same place. All right. We're talking radio. Uh, let's talk streaming, Scott, uh, more uh, your uh, area of uh, absolute uh, focus. Uh, I guess the main point we could start with is radio really reigns over streaming when it comes to country radio really is still king. Right. And so, you know, when you look at some of the numbers that we, uh, that we pulled for, uh, for the webinar, I mean, one of the big things when you, when you look at uh, where are people consuming country music? And uh, as you said, Gary, you know, radio still number one, 24% overall, uh, as far as the time, there's the amount of you know, focus they're doing as far as where they're consuming the, the uh, country music. Uh, on-demand streaming number two at 19% overall, um, but you know, radio is still king. Streaming is coming up. 
Uh, the streaming numbers overall are significantly up for country. As, as John said earlier, you know, a few years ago, country was lagging behind. Country was not really uh, streaming very much, listening to radio, listening to CDs, listening to even vinyl albums in some cases, but mostly they're listening on, on CDs. And, and now, um, you know, it's, it's really changing. Um, radio is still strong, but uh, streaming is up. And they look at country streaming growth alone for audio streaming year over year from 17 to 18 is up 62%, uh, 62% overall, 43.7 billion streams in 2018 for country music listeners alone. So these numbers are growing every year. Um, and I think that they're going to keep going in that direction. But country's catching up is really what it kind of comes down to overall when you're looking at kind of those directional things. Uh, so radio is still going to be important, still going to be really strong. But uh, but there's going to be a, uh, there's an all additional player there with uh, with streaming, and that's something that's another place for them to consume the music, and it, it really has a lot to do with how consumption overall is changing, you know, for music, and and country really isn't much different than that because when you look at uh, overall traditional sales, you know, traditional album sales certainly obviously are are are, are way off, uh, both digital and, and physical. Uh, and then uh, even kind of the, the old iTunes model where you would, which is now officially going away, as we yeah. heard, I think, yesterday. Um, that whole model is going away, and, and those numbers are down just, you know, huge amounts. At the same time, the streaming numbers are up for, for audio and for video. Uh, streaming both are up uh, significantly as far as the way people are choosing to consume music. doesn't mean that uh, it, it, to me, it doesn't mean as much that radio is going to be killed by it. It, it really means to me that the ch it, the, it's a change of people, the way they're consuming music, like they used to listen to on CDs or on albums going in the streaming direction. I think that's going to be a more significant change than, than for radio. Yeah, that was interesting. You brought up uh, some of these uh, shares. So in terms of uh, overall uh, country listening, 24% uh, share of overall listening is on radio. And you said 19% on-demand streams, uh, that radio share is a lot higher than other genres and that on-demand streaming uh, yeah. share is a lot lower than other genres. It's 18% higher uh, on an index basis, so 118 index uh, for radio uh, as far as the choice overall for country listeners. And when you look at on-demand streaming, it's 21% below average. So yes, that's absolutely the case and that's, and that's still a big difference overall. Um, what you see, satellite radio uh, is interesting too. Satellite radio for for country is uh, only eight percent overall. You know, versus twenty four percent for radio. But that index for for country is thirty three percent above average. So uh, satellite's actually higher, and it's interesting. Uh, maybe my, I mean, one theory I might have is that uh, some country listeners want the new country and some of those uh, outlaw country and some of the things like Willie Nelson's channel and so on like that, that uh, aren't available on traditional terrestrial radio. I think they may be going there for some of those kind of very uh, different flavors of uh, country music that you don't necessarily get as much uh, on, in most markets for country. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts just uh, just from what you've seen, just in observing uh, music and specifically country, of why uh, women are so underrepresented, both well, in country uh, radio specifically, but is it more, uh, and I don't know where the cause and effect really is, is it with the labels not signing artists, is it that they are but they're not uh, getting that response? Uh, I got into country music in the early 90s when women were, were ruling. It was Mary yeah. Chapman Carpenter and uh, Trisha Yearwood and so many different acts. So it uh, feels sort of cyclical but we, to, to hit just a, a low point now, uh, just from everything uh, you guys see, both uh, Scott and John, do you have any thoughts on – where do you think uh, maybe the root cause is? I can tell you from an audience standpoint, you know, country has mass appeal. So it appeals about as equally to men as it does to women. So the, in terms of who listens to country music, it looks like our country. You know, that's that's the radio point overall. Radio reaches the most people because everyone listens. It's mass. Therefore, it looks like America. So being the number one format will sort of back that up, right? Fill a stadium full of people and the majority of them are going to hear country music and that's going to look like our population today. So the audience is who the audience is as as to why uh, stations make the call to play or not play an artist. 
that's certainly their discretion and it's the label discretion. And we do know, I think Scott and I can both agree on this, the country is very unique. As we said, you go to someplace like a CRS, country radio seminar, and there is no other radio music conference like that that I know of in the country, in the U.S. Um, and it's, it's its own, you know, group. It has its own sort of ethics and its own sort of group think. Um, I don't know if Nielsen uh, can comment on, on why, but I can tell you that the audience who listens to the country is equally balanced, male and female. So that's not a bad idea for the future, Scott. Like, do other formats look like that? Is there a disparity between pop or hip-hop in terms of who listens versus who is played gender-wise? That's an interesting idea for a follow-up study. Ab- absolutely. It absolutely is. And I think that, um, you know, there was a, there was a um, kind of offline discussion that was a bit of a – open table discussion at CRS about this topic. And, um, you know, without getting too controversial about it, I think that, you know, there was a lot of uh, different positions that were taken on this, you know, and and I think one of the, you know, one of the things that was out there was that, you know, certain artists who weren't being played didn't necessarily play the games well, uh, as far as, you know, uh, working with radio. One of the big things that, um, that, as John mentioned, I mean, the CRS convention, one of the, the best things for me coming to it versus a lot of other radio conferences is the artists show up. <laughs> the artists are there. They're there uh, shaking hands, kissing babies. <laughs> you know, they're out there. They're, you know, really uh, – they're they're playing their music. They're um, at the cocktail parties. They're – you know, they're, the labels do big events. You know, it's, it's, it's like kind of old-time radio in a, in a lot of ways. And so – that's a it's a really great convention for that way because you've got radio and records in one place together, where a lot of the other events are records, radio, very separate, and um, and I think that that is a is a real positive thing about the country format, and I think there there was some talk that some of the country artists who weren't being played maybe weren't making that same effort. That was one effort. I don't know if that's fair or not. I'm just saying these are some of the things that were talked about because I I'm not trying to make judgment on it. To, in terms of that, I think that also there's sometimes with certain artists like Taylor Swift is an example where Taylor Swift is viewed as she left the format, you right. know, and there's not, there wasn't a lot of criticism that they're not playing Taylor Swift because they're not really country songs anymore. <laughs> um, and that, you know, she moved off into a pop place. And, you know, when she moved off into, into that position, she left kind of the country world. And that's, it wasn't looked at as a negative, it was just that she was a huge artist originally in country that kind of went away. Is that kind of the same? With Casey Musgraves, I know a lot of people think a lot of people think Golden Hour is a pop album. You yeah, know, and you gave it maybe a little country sauce, and you know, okay, well, little passes country. So maybe is she in that same kind of boat with well, the this new, particular album? The new record has a lot more pop songs on it. You know, I just saw her this weekend at um, at Governor's Ball, and she was, you know, part of the set was very pop. It wasn't country, but a lot of it was very country. So I mean, it's she's kind of a mixed bag. Where she hasn't made the commitment that Taylor Swift has, where she's gone pop, you know, and she's still living a lot in the country world, but she really lives in kind of a bunch of worlds. <laughs> you know, you'll see her at, uh, you know, like she's a governor's ball. There's no other country artists or quasi country artists at that comp- at that uh, at that music fest, and she's at a lot of those fests around the country that no one else goes to. It was kind of similar. Eric Church did the same thing for a while, where he was going around to a lot of the more rock and pop conferences and showing up and. And doing sets there, and so, you know, it. it so you, you'd make the. There's a lot of uh, artists like Eric Church who've done the same thing that Casey Musgraves has done, and tried to do some crossover stuff. Um, and so I think that that, you know, it it could be fair on some songs, but not on all songs. And so I think that there's songs in her record that are purely are you know certainly country songs, and that's where I think she even like the Grammy song uh, that she won for was, was pr- pretty country song. I mean, because surely it must be weird that. This conversation has been going on for such a long time, and yeah, so you can't you can't avoid this topic. I mean, if you're a programmer, you know that this is sort of hanging over all programmers' heads, and the fact that they're still refusing to do this, if you want to, you know, go so far as to say it's an active suppression. I mean, that's 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 seems very tone deaf, if nothing else. Well, and also. From a radio standpoint, you know, programmers are programmed to do what gets the highest ratings. And as we said, despite some, you know, declines in audience, country remains number one, shares remain very high. So, you know, for for a radical change to happen, you generally have to have a lot of elements motivating people and continuing to get top shares 
I'm just sort of brainstorming out loud here, but you know, change is hard, especially when it continues to be the number one format. So it's an ongoing conversation, and I'm fascinated by it just like you are, um, because there's certainly something here. <laughs> right? well, we're, it, we're not just making this up, so to say. The other thing, country has gone away from some of the hard – like there's Americana artists that are very country-sounding, like a Margot Price <laughs> who did zero airplay in country. There's Brandy Carlisle is another example, you know, who's another Grammy Award-winning artist, had a great performance at the Grammys. Um, and she's, you know, winning, um, you know, all kinds of awards and accolades and so on. But she get she's not considered country. She's not on any really of any uh, volume being played at country radio because she doesn't fit in that narrow kind of focus of this pop country kind of world that's today that they feel is going to be marketable to the audiences of country. Maybe that's for what John's point is that the programmers don't feel that Brandy Carlisle fits in with that audience. And that might be fine. You know, it's a little harder sell with Casey Musgraves because a lot of those songs are really more pop country songs <laughs> with a little bit of an edge to them, you know, in some cases. And so I think that's where that it becomes a little bit harder to defend. And so that's where I think they gave in, you know, and they started playing her a lot more. Yeah, uh, uh, starting to like uh, country. For me, uh, in the 90s, it felt like there was a pretty good mix yep. of Americana artists. And then at some point, it just kind of splintered off and – Country just uh, this decade became more uh, a format where it was. Uh, I don't think less extremes, but it feels like there's there's a typical sound that you hear in country. It's male dominated, obviously. Uh, bro country was uh, the big uh, term for a long mm -hmm. time, but it, it feels like country maybe more than other formats. There's just sort of a sound you kind of have to follow if you want to get on mainstream country radio. There's almost just one sound and, yep. and not much else. Yep, I think there's some truth to that, and as I said. Continuing to be the number one rated format just sort of perpetuates whatever cycle um, that we're discussing. If they ain't fixed, why, you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> if, it ain't, if it ain't broke, <laughs> no, that's exactly. We're gonna so. fix it while it's broke. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, so one, one last top, uh, at least for me, one last kind of point about women at country. Are there are there any automatic women at country? I know sometimes sometimes genres have this this problem where you know even though the gender isn't fully represented. At least there's always one or two kind of, you know, Carrie Underwood for a long time felt like an automatic, but I know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Carrie's still on the same level that she was before. Miranda Lambert's been, you know, kind of quiet and she was a big star. Is there anybody who among women who feels like she's at least, you know, able to carry the flag if nothing else for a while? Or, is, I mean, is everybody really just top to bottom affected by this? There's nobody that jumps out of my unless I'm just forgetting about someone right now. Because I mean, Taylor Swift was that until she switched. It was really it was Taylor and Carrie yeah. and Carrie for so yep. long. And Carrie just had her uh, streak snapped of always hitting the top ten with every yep. single Love Wins. So I got to number eleven. So, right. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of it, and then it kind of stopped. And then you know, it's it's all about there's there are you'll see at CRS you know you'll see a lot of country female artists mixed in, you know, they're playing and they're, some of them are very talented and they've got some good songs. Um, you know, to John's point from the beginning of the um, conversation, you know, where country is kind of a, a family format, you know, it, it goes across, mm -hmm. you know, millennials, it goes, you know, all the way up to baby boomers and um, it's rare. I mean, there really aren't a lot of formats that do that where when you really break down the demo cells, that it's really there. They could look great 2554, but it's all 3554. It's all, you know, 18 to 49 or, you know, and in 1849, the high end of that's even old, you know? So um, that's what makes country so unique. And then when it's spread that thin, it, it's hard to maintain that, especially without, if you're not replenishing the younger end with some younger artists that are going to be different enough to keep some of the younger fans listening, you know? And that's why they need to find the new, you know, the new Taylor Swift or the new Carrie Underwood. Yeah, male-wise, uh, Luke Holmes, probably the perfect example of someone yeah. who's just come in uh, so huge and hit number one with uh, his first five singles and country airplay. It looks like he's probably going there with his uh, sixth one. Yeah, it just, just hasn't been a problem for male artists. We're, we've gotten a lot of new new blood, male yeah. artist-wise. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one last – sorry, you brought up something kind of cool. And I want to <laughs> ask about um, at, at the CMS. So you mentioned you know, there's a lot of budding young – uh, country female artists out there and if they I guess if, if they know that country radio is having a hard time accepting women is there any talk about trying to get through on in other ways are, are people looking at streaming or anything as sort of the new breakthrough or is radio just still 
so much the number one in the country world that, you know, that's that's the ticket that you really somehow need to find a way to cash in on. Well, I think they're trying to get on, on the streaming side too. I think they're trying to look at it from both angles. Chris Stapleton was sort of brought to country music and brought to the forefront through streaming. But there haven't been that many examples I can point to where a, a female country artist has come up through you know streaming, being streamed like crazy in markets and not being touched on on the radio. Um, and so you really, you know, you could do that a little bit with Casey Musgrave. Some songs definitely are being underplayed by her. Um, but you're not really, you know, you don't really see that um, at the same volume like you did with Chris Stapleton. But that's, I think that would be a place where a lot of female artists should be paying more attention to the streaming side because it'll help give them a case, a database case. You're not just saying, I'm female, you should play me, <laughs> which isn't going to work because they, like John was saying, the programmers are really in charge of making sure yeah. their station is number one. And uh, if they if they're not convinced that it's going to help them, they're not going to play it. Doesn't doesn't matter, you know, if it's male or female. But um, but the streaming data is a, a bigger and bigger factor uh, when you know uh, program directors are making their decisions, and also when promo teams are able to bring in some data based um, information to convince a PD to play a song. You know, so I think that's it's going to be part of the job that they're going to have to do better at in terms of getting their songs uh, um, played on the radio. Ooh, just more hurdles to clear, unfortunately. That's <laughs> no, yeah, an unfair race. And there's a self-fulfilling prophecy happening here, too. You mentioned it. I mean, if there's any music format that's been so closely tied to radio over the years, it is country. As we said, just that relationship, that close-knit relationship between artists and radio doesn't really exist anywhere else. So you've got that system to deal with. That's just in place. That's just like the learned behavior of how country music flows um, and you get to the radio. So there's a lot of opportunity for change, and this is a great conversation, but the sort of optics of what it, what it is now and the way it exists means, yeah, there's some things to overcome for sure. I, I got to ask, is there any any sort of research or anything, and maybe this is way too granular, because some people mm-hmm. might counter that and say, well, you know, it's not, you don't, you don't have to lose ratings if you were to play more female artists. Like, but is there any any history or any trend that, you know, if you play too many women or two women back to back or any of those sort of long held assumptions that that actually does you know, lower ratings or people don't tune in as long or any anything that sort of supports that theory? Not that I know of. Those are good questions. Those are good, like, music, you know, sort of conceptual questions, music test questions. Uh, maybe somebody somewhere. There's a lot of really talented, smart country, you know, radio consultants out there. But I know that we haven't done it, Nielsen. It's a good question. You guys didn't know we are just going to make this mostly about uh... – Oh, uncomfortable discussion. They're throwing you guys right into it. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, four guys sitting around talking about women. I have, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, one thing we talked about last time, John, when you were here with the R&B hip hop is, uh, and again, I just I always find this uh, an interesting stat, uh, how much of streaming uh, is catalog versus current? Uh, are people, uh, you might just think off the top of your head, uh, people are streaming only new music, but uh, it's actually overall the numbers you guys have, 70% catalog. 30% current for all genres. So uh, 70% of all music streamed is catalog over current. And it's actually a more, uh, even sharper catalog uh, for country. It's 81 catalog, 19% current. And that's really different from what we were talking about last time, John, when you were here about uh, R&B hip hop, it's a 54% catalog, 46% current, yeah. almost a split of new music and older music, but with country, uh, it's 81% catalog. Uh, what's your take on that? And is uh, part of it that, uh, again, country's history musically goes back uh, maybe so many more decades than hip hop that there's uh, just so much more music available. Yeah, I think that's got to be part of it right there. You've got multiple decades of more music than some of the other genres you just mentioned. Um, and country is, as we've been saying, the country audience is is more slowly coming to streaming. It's happening. They are streaming more than they ever used to, but they've been lagging. Um, part of that has to do with how mass appeal country is. You know, think about what's happened to R&B and hip hop and pop, and those are much more younger skewing. There's not quite as many older uh, listeners to those formats. So 
you know, the younger people, uh, you know, pick up streaming quicker and all that kind of stuff. But country, because it's so mass appeal, um, it's just the change happens a little slower. You don't see the change happen quite as quite as quickly, I think, in country. And yeah, there's so much music that's been played over the years and so many different distinct types of country, too, that there is such a library out there. So it makes a lot of sense that um, eight in ten, you know, eight in ten songs streamed their country our catalog um that does make a lot of sense yeah i've said uh, for me it's a 90s country i'm curious uh, you guys what what's your favorite era artists uh styles of country music uh scott i like the old stuff i like the you know johnny cash and uh merle haggard and you know the the, the kind of old outlaw country uh willie and you know will and willie whalen and the boys yeah okay i like it <laughs> the drinkers yeah <laughs> john I like a lot of the same things. And also I really enjoy the songwriting aspect of country. When I get to go to CRS, uh, the sessions I love are the ones where people come in and talk about that. You know, people that write these songs and what it takes to do it and how you're telling stories and what an art form it is. So that obviously spans across a lot of country, but it's one of those things where you know it when you hear it. You know, when you hear a particular song or a particular artist, they just, they grab you. That's the beauty of music and the beauty of that format. So I really enjoy the really well thought out sort of storytelling uh, songs. That's my favorite. And, and to pile on to that, I think that's why I like so much of the Americana offshoot of country yeah. and rock, which is, you know, the old John Prine music, new John Prine music, uh, and, and all the artists that kind of come out around that, uh, you know, are Jason Isbell and uh, that whole kind of genre i think there's just so much great songwriting and so many great storytelling in there that is uh at least being picked up in that in that uh, part of uh part of the music scene yeah, well, a lot out of nashville yeah i forget what we were talking about on the podcast recently but somehow we uh trevor and i we wound up in this deep discussion of uh goodbye earl by dixie chicks which is just <laughs> one of the craziest uh, yeah. stories ever where uh, they kill earl but they're they're the heroes of the song that's, exactly that's what it's country as it gets <laughs> it is absolutely uh, the uh, one other thing that uh, came up in this uh, webinar you guys did is uh, music discovery and same thing we've been saying uh, whereas for other genres it's not necessarily on radio but music discovery for country is mostly on radio and uh, playlists uh, streaming services playlists where uh, rap caviar there's that there's no there's no country caviar uh, eighth place is streaming services playlist for music discovery for country radio number one playlists for country it's number eight so again another sign that uh, just shows how it's radio and not streaming at least historically and as you said uh, it's, it's changing a bit going forward but uh music discovery radio still is that big for country there's that farm system we were talking about that's just the way that's how you get to the show if you will in country radio you come up through it and that's how people hear it um before streaming was even around before digital technology that was where people got their country artists so you're right that that habit sort of hangs on today with with the country listener absolutely I think it's also really interesting to think about the next generation of country listeners. So when you bring up that, you know, age demographic map today of who is the country listener. And as we said, once you get above 18, it's, it's a very strong audience all the way until late in your life. But what's to the left of that on the graph? What about teens today? So radio listeners, country music fans that are teenagers today. How are they going to get their country in five to 10 years? And especially once they enter the working force and they become the millennial type generation and they start having kids and all that stuff happens. So I think those are some really interesting things to think about for country as well. And we saw some great presentations at CRS this year about that, about, you know, are you thinking about teenagers? Do you program to teenagers? Do you spend a lot of your time researching what teenage fans want, um, because that's going to be who you're going after in five to 10 years. So with all the things we've talked about and the depth of music and new versus old and men versus women and all the different sort of uh, iterations of country music, uh, I think one thing that isn't talked about a lot is what does the future look like and how do you get young people today who are voracious music fans you know they're growing up in the age of technology all music is available to them at the touch of a fingertip um, how do you get those kinds of music listeners to become country listeners and to become country radio listeners that's a really big point of conversation for the future i think were there any thoughts that people threw out there or is everyone still kind of trying to figure it out for themselves well one of the one of the big findings was how important streaming is 
right? Uh, how, again, younger teenagers today are listening to so much music. And in addition to using the radio, um, they certainly stream. And so that was a really interesting finding about how, you know, teenagers influence their parents, right? So they had a bunch of country uh, listening households and, you know, the parents talking about, well, I never really used to use Spotify until Mike turned me on to it. And now in addition to, you know, my, my local station, I also like to listen to this one on Spotify, right? I like to go here and get that. So we know that streaming uh, is a great indicator of what's happening, what the, what the audience wants. Uh, and from a younger standpoint, Scott, you can certainly talk about this from a young standpoint. I mean, that's, that's, probably the first place you would go is, you know, what's happening in streaming because we know that it's really being driven by young listeners. Absolutely. And I think that you, you see it every day. You'll see things pop in there that uh, are – they tend to be younger skewing. Um, they tend to be younger artists, you know, that are they're coming up first. Right. But not always. I mean, Chris Stapleton actually does cross over to older and younger. Uh, it's a different example. But um, the, the biggest example you see that – are certainly that way. And you see that in hip hop in a big way, as far as, you know, those, those artists that come up through there out of nowhere in a week, <laughs> they'll all of a sudden appear on the chart and they'll be, you know, number two in a market, uh, as far as streaming, especially if it's a local artist and, um, all of a sudden they'll just take off. And so it's, it's really having a huge impact. And I think that's where a lot of that has to go. And, it's ta- it's talking to everyone in the household too. You know, when you're mm-hmm. you're talking about what your on air talent is is uh, is talking about, is making sure you're not just talking to parents that you're talking to the whole family when you're uh, out there and communicating with them because you're really – the country radio, you are talking to the whole family in a lot of cases. It's not just the parents that you want to reach. The problem is the buying demo, the demo that radio really cares about, 2554, those are huge demos both up to you know 45 54 and and uh, 55 plus are huge for country but when they drop those people drop off out of the 54 year range they become less valuable from an advertiser perspective for country radio and that over time you know wears itself out if you're not replenishing on the younger end and that's you know to, to back up your point John I mean that's I think really key to figure out strategies and tactics for to really go after those younger people, both in terms of what your on-air talent's talking about and also the new music that you're playing on the station and even the gold music that you're playing on the station that's going to attract that audience. And, and in some cases, not just be a turnoff to some of those audiences too. And that goes to your music testing and the things you're doing. Classic Rock is having the same discussions. In fact, I think yep. we talked about this on one of our previous podcasts. We guys, did. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the difference is cla- there's not – there's not necessarily new music being played today that's going to go right into a classic rock station. It's going to take 20 years for it to make it there. But country has new music has new music coming out today. So that's the advantage country has there. Country's in a lot better place than classic rock for that reason. Yep. It's going to be interesting uh, going forward as uh, streaming takes a bigger uh, share of all listening because uh, country's been uh, king of radio for so long. So uh, it's kind of maybe their biggest challenge in a long time. It's as we move into uh, people growing up more in a streaming world, uh, it's going to kind of be tested maybe more than it ever has, at least in the yeah. recent decades of uh, country's dominance. As streaming of country grows more and more year to year, it's going to go through some of those same changes that led us to SoundCloud rap, you know, in the hip hop world. So, yeah, I think uh, we have a front row seat for what that's going to be in the next few years. Thank you, as always. Uh, John, Scott, though, your first time here on the podcast. Uh, great insights, as always. Uh, you guys are doing all these different uh, webinars for different genres. What's, uh, what's coming out the rest of the year? Yeah, we're going to do rock in July. So rock is next month. And we were just on a call yesterday talking about, okay, what do you mean when you say the word rock? There's classic rock, there's alternative, there's AAA, there's active, there's, you know, and then the charts start to bleed together. So uh, we have our homework to do on rock, but that's coming up next month. And then we're doing uh, contemporary Christian in the fall and also Latin uh, closer to the end of the year. We'll keep having you guys on. Thanks so much as always. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. I'll try to pass the night away with somebody new, but they don't have a shower and I compare them to you. It's too late, too late. Baby, I know I'll never find you again, find you again. All right. Yeah, be sure to tune in next week. I think next week is really one of the first sort of stacked debut weeks we're going to have uh, on the chart in a while. we got... As we mentioned earlier, the Mighty Cyrus, Mother's Daughter, Katy Perry, Never Really Over, 
uh, Camila Cabello back with Mark Ronson on Find You Again. So feels like, you know, three really big pop names all vying for that big comeback. So we'll see uh, where all those land. And I mean, of course, you know, Old Town Road will be up there waiting for a challenger. So we'll see uh, if any of those seem like they might have the momentum soon to knock it out. If James Holtzauer can lose on Jeopardy. Anything can happen. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's a yeah, yeah. No one and no one saw it coming the way it did. So who knows? You know, people sleep on some of these songs. Give it the right, the right combination, and uh, down goes Lil Nas. And uh, yeah, speaking of that, we mentioned uh, a while back Billie Eilish moving up to number two with Bad Guy. So if that peaks at number two uh, under uh, Old Town Road, it would be the fifth song to peak at number two, and that would tie a record for uh, most songs to peak at number two under one number one. It was a theme from A Summer Place back in 1960 and uh, Everything I Do, I Do It For You in 1991. So just another sign that shows how dominant uh, Old Town Road has been. Five songs, it looks like, uh, unless a bad guy can get to number one, will have peaked under it and maybe it'll break the record. Maybe uh, one of those songs, Trevor, you just mentioned, maybe that becomes the sixth song to peak at number two. And maybe, and I guess speaking of records, there's a number two record, but that number one record, I think people... You know, the way the streams are going may need to start opening the record books. We saw Despacito finally get to 16 weeks, tie the all-time record. Lil Nas X got a way to go, but, you know, it feels like, if I don't know, the way things are going, the way the streams are not declining, maybe people might want us to take a look and see if they can get to the four-month mark as well. Yeah, uh, 10 weeks looks like uh, it's probably pretty set for next week, so it'll join, join the rear club of uh, double-digit weeks at number one next week. The lambs are the lambs are fuming. All right, so uh, closing with uh, a different kind of a flashback this week. Uh, this is where uh, my uh, being such a radio fan really uh, plays in. Uh, so uh, it become uh, sort of known. It's it's more of a New York thing than the national. But I I feel like ninety five five WPLJ here in New York was a pretty known station even even beyond New York. So uh, signed on in. Uh, sort of the format it would have for the next 48 years, some version of uh, Top 40 or Adult Top 40, Pop Rock, in 1971, and just uh, call themselves the world famous uh, PLJ. Uh, I came here from Boston and uh, also working at a hot AC station in Boston Mix. I always kind of looked at uh, PLJ as is that station in New York. It just kind of had that aura of the call letters. And uh, for people who grew up uh, listening to PLJ for the last 48 years, this is it's even older than me, Trevor, 48 years. Huh? Yeah. Huh? So Station was on the air for that long, and uh, it was recently sold to a Christian broadcaster, and it was known uh, after that coming up that its time as a HUD AC, uh, adult pop station, was limited. So uh, Cumulus sold the station, and then uh, word came out that May 31st was going to be the last day on the air for PLJ uh, with uh, the morning show that had been there. Uh, Todd Pattengill had been there for years. Before that, he'd been uh, teamed with Scott Shannon, that it was uh, a show with uh, Jade for the last few years. But uh, it just became a, a really emotional countdown of, well, PLJ is really going to be going away. And same thing actually happened to a Mix 1073 in Washington, WRQX. But uh, so I thought I would listen on Friday, the last day, and just uh, as a radio fan. And uh, the, the one thing that hit me listening is how emotional it really was just for me listening, but for, for all the jocks who were on the air, but also listeners calling in. They had uh, people who had been on the station for years. Uh, the last couple of days just turned into a whole uh, farewell. And it was, it was just some of the, the best radio I've ever heard uh, for the last couple of days. And, and, and so great because it was just so honest. Uh, DJs were just saying what the station meant to them, what listeners meant to them. It's, it's probably not something you could do on an everyday basis because uh, it would just sort of be weird, I guess, at some level if you were always talking about yourselves and and, and uh, it just kind of lose its value. Yeah, you know, so if, yeah. It, it just it, it just had uh, like a great finale of, of a TV show where uh, it just kind of hits you emotionally. And uh, yeah, one thing I've always thought is uh, uh, streaming versus radio. Uh, if a streaming service goes away, if Spotify goes away at some point, is it? Is, Shh, you hush, you hush. Well, well no, I was going to say I, I was thinking, oh, it wouldn't have that same weight as radio because there's so much more human element. There's DJs, there's the calling in, and it wouldn't. Be quite the same, but at the same time, we got the news this week that uh, iTunes is going away, and I'm, I'm actually uh, I still listen to my iPod, so I can kind of see how with whatever uh, platform you grew up with, maybe maybe it is just a personal thing. Although there's just such a different element with radio because there's that human element in a different way, and it's and it's shared, unlike streaming. Yeah, I guess it kind of reminds me of like when you see some of those, um, 
like with like the news anchors retire or like you know sixty minutes correspondence or whatever, and you know they kind of just. I mean, this obviously was much more announced, but usually they kind of like hit you with that little, you know, like two minutes worth of monologue at the end, and and you know, I mean, just sum up a career of you know for some of these people, you know, multiple decades. I mean, you're right. It just you know, it's, it's something that makes you just really you know tear up and and really affects you just to hear how much directly you know breaking that fourth wall what what this experience has meant to them what's it what's it been like hearing your feedback what's it like you know seeing taking kids on the tour and 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 all that kind of thing and even being recognized in the grocery store or whatever like a local celebrity just just how much of that impact you know and how that's really helped to shape and define and give you know a lot of purpose and meaning to their careers for so long yeah and and part of the magic of radio too is always that it's always on. It's twenty four seven, and it's just even if you're not listening, uh, it's just it's always there. It's it's, it's very comforting. Uh, walking in uh, Monday to Billboard, it was the first day that it wasn't on the air. It, it flipped uh, formats Friday at seven uh, p.m. and it just really felt like something something was just missing. A little a little pulse was just missing with uh, the station not being uh, there anymore. So uh, farewell to, to a great station, PLJ. Going to close with the last few minutes of PLJ. Uh, there's no way we could say any of this better than what uh, the jocks on the station uh, said. So uh, you'll hear the song to kick things off of uh, where the WPLJ call letters came from. And then here's some uh, just really uh, emotional radio and uh, really try not to be sad about it on, on the jock side because uh, uh, when there's uh, something that's missed like this, it means that there was something so loved. So here's the end of PLJ, uh, maybe for now, but uh, at least on 95.5 for those 48 straight years, PLJ's goodbye here on the Billboard Chappie Podcast. This is the nearly famous, highly outrageous, but never ever contagious, original, extra large and turbocharged, one and only, no baloney. Scott and Todd, Friday morning, weekend blast off spectacular. 
All right, Thank I'm you. done. <laughs> Mike Allen. Mine's real quick. I, I said my piece. Uh, I, I made so many friends here. Uh, it's not even friends. You guys are all family here. Hopefully, we all stay in touch for a very long time. And this has been the greatest part of my life uh, professionally and personally. So thank you all for being a part of that. And thank you to listeners. And thank you, Mr. Race Taylor. Thank you. We're down to just under a minute. So uh, before we go, my wife is by my side. A thank you to our families, our immediate families, our extended families, our New Jersey families, our work families, everybody in this room. You have lived up to the testament from just a few weeks ago. Smile because it happened, and you have been that exactly to a T. While we get set for a toast, one final phrase. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. If you would please raise your glasses. May the 48-year run of this radio station prove to be a testament to the power and the love of terrestrial radio. And may the mere thought of the letters PLJ bring a smile to your face, a warmth to your heart, and a tingle to your ears. Here's to those who have walked these halls and breathed life into these microphones. It is with peace, love, and joy that we toast the White Port Lemon Juice. Here's to PLJ. And for one final time, from high above Madison Square Garden, this is the world-famous WPLJ New York. 